Good morning, church. My name is Phil, and I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. I have just three announcements for you this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you joined us. We'd love to hear from you. So just scan the QR code on your seat to learn more about us and the ways you can get connected. Or fill out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you and drop it in one of the boxes by the doors of the Worship Center on your way out or take it to our welcome desk. Are you looking for a place to build friendships as well as be encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus? Or are you looking for a group in which you can get the care and support that you need during this season of your life? Whatever type of group you're looking for, there's a place to connect right here for you. Scan the QR code on your seat and click on Join Our Community. Or check out wheatonbible.org groups. Now a reminder for those of you who are involved in our care and support groups. As of the week of September 5th, they are moving from Mondays to Thursdays. So mark that on your calendars. If you have the gift of hospitality or administration, or you're able to interpret, we are looking for people to help with our Administer Justice Legal Clinic. It's held one Saturday morning per month, and people from our community can come here to get free advice on their legal situation or question. Check out wheatonbible.org slash administerjustice if you're interested in serving in this way. That's all I have for you today. Let's worship together. Have a great week. Good morning, church. Psalm 92 says, You make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy what your hands have done. And today we start with the words, To God be the glory, great things he has done. So the question for us as we begin together this morning is, What has God done that has made you glad? What specific reason this morning, because his mercies are new every morning, what specific reason do you have this morning to sing for joy? So I thought we could lift our voices and share with each other a few of our things so we could rejoice together, and then we'll stand and sing. So what are some of those reasons that you're singing this morning for joy? Lift up your voice. Wheaton Bible Church. Well, praise the Lord. That's good to hear. What else? Grandchildren. The Lord's presence. Thank you. Anybody else? Our worship team. Well, this wasn't really about that, but praise the Lord. We're glad that we are able to serve in that way. Whatever health we have. Thank you so much, Jenny. Good. Anybody else? God's grace. God's grace. Excellent. Let's stand together and worship together for all those reasons so and so many more.
please be seated. I love that song. I love the, the uh, line, you give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. And also the line that was talking about, we've hopelessly lost the way. I hope I'm not the only one that feels like sometimes we are hopelessly losing the way. Um, I, I feel like I, I need this line that talks about healing and grace. And I often, you know, you go through your days and, and sometimes the stress or the sadness or whatever it is becomes so much, right? And um, I, I, I'll find a way to cover it up or try to manage it. So I'll eat something or I'll watch TV and then the night is over and I don't feel any better. And I think, what's going on? That should have helped me. And what am I really longing for? I'm longing for Jesus. I'm longing for his compassion and his healing and his grace and his power and his love. And I'm still learning how to incorporate that into my daily life. Obviously, that's a, something we do every day for the rest of our lives. How do we really live in victory and with Jesus at our side? Hebrews 7.25 says that he always lives to intercede for us. And I love that, and I fully depend on that. And when we say he's what we hunger for, and yet at the same time, it's the same Jesus that is standing at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that is, to me, an inexplicable grace. Our next song puts this experience of ours into great words. It says, I cannot tell why he whom the angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men, or why, as shepherd, he should seek the wanderers to bring them back. But this I know that Christ the Lord is risen, and he's risen now in me. They took my guilty heart, and I'm forever free. So we rejoice in that today as a body of believers. And if you look around, there's so many of us here. None of us are alone. None of us are walking through this alone. We have each other. And so be encouraged by each other and by walking through each other. Get in those groups so we can do life together and figure this out as we go. Let's stand, or not yet. Darren's going to sing the first verse for us and then we'll join. And all our darkness 
Just fled from heaven's light When Christ the Lord So human yet so holy In love was born a child for me That Let's stand.
All right, today I have the honor to, um, I have the privilege to honor Linda, Linda Michael for her 19 years of service at Wheaton Bible Church. Yeah. You deserve much more than that. In 2002, Linda joined our staff of a, as a preschool teacher, and then in 2017, she became the preschool director. Throughout those years, Linda has impacted the lives of hundreds of preschoolers and their families, teachers, and WBC staff. She has worked diligently teaching children, ensuring the safety of our children, building relationships with parents and families, praying for families and teachers, and most recently, navigating the complications of COVID-19. And for that, I want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> All of this while directing WBC Preschool. She is deeply respected and loved, and she will be greatly missed. Linda cares deeply for our preschool, and she has helped the, her successor to ensure a smooth transition. And we are glad that Linda and Andy uh, will continue to be part of the family of Wheaton Bible Church. So I want to invite you to join me in celebrating and honoring, uh, honoring Linda for 19 years of service. You want to say something? No? Nope. All right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just say quickly, it's just been the joy of my life. Let me get that. Thank you. It, it's been the joy of my life and my passion, and, uh, and I, I'll miss it greatly. We love you. We love you. How about if, uh, do me a favor, can you please uh, stand? And I'm going to ask you to clap one more time. And then please reach out, and we're going to pray for Linda and end in this new season in life. Lord, we are so grateful for people like Linda that is committed to the kingdom, regardless of what that would take. I'm grateful, Lord, for all these 19 years in, in which she, she has loved you and loved our preschool students and loved their parents and loved the church. And I pray, Lord, that as she steps into this new season in life, I pray, Lord, that she may find beauty and rest and enjoy not just the new season, but enjoy you and enjoy uh, the relationship with Andy and enjoy the family and enjoy the church and enjoy, Lord, what you have given her. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus for your protection upon her. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you continue to use her for the glory of your name and the well-being of your people. And I pray, Lord, that the rest of us may actually learn from someone like Linda, faithful servant, committed until the end, giving you glory with everything she has. And for that, we want to give you glory. And the church says, Amen. thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to please stand, uh, stay standing for the reading of God's uh, word. Morning, church family. Uh, so as we continue in worship, uh, we'll be reading, our passage today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. If you have your Matthew journals, that is also page 54 uh, in there. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. 
When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. Let me pray once again really quick. Lord, I pray that as we open up a scripture, you speak to us. May, may the presence and the power of the Spirit confront us with what the scripture already says. May we, we be able to see and understand and believe. Please, Holy Spirit, take us to Jesus. Take us to Jesus. Take us to the cross and leave us there. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say... For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal, and I'm so glad that you are here. Thanks for worshiping with us today. For those of you worshiping with us online, we are also glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, Interesting that today we are starting part four uh, in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. That's why we have a new icon, if 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 you got to see it here on my left. Or if you were coming in, you got to see, uh, we got new stickers with the icon on it. And what we're going to be doing for part four uh, in the Gospel of of John, we're going to be going through chapters 11 and 12. Uh, So if you don't have the the journal yet or you don't don't have the sticker yet, you can get one of those by the welcome desk right at the end of the service. Um, There's one thing that I wanted you to see and know. If if you have your journal, you're going to find a QR code all throughout that journal. 
And if you scan it with your phone, that will take you to, the, our, to our website. And there's a page there dedicated for the Gospel of Matthew for this series. So there you find some of the sermons we preach. There you could get the journal. Um, you will find even more than that extra resources that we have put there for you to see and learn from. So if you haven't used that, please use that tool. I think it's going to be helpful uh, to you. Take advantage of that. Now, that what we're going to talk about today, I think that is extremely relevant. I think that it's relevant both for Christians and non-Christians, for the people that already have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and the ones that are seekers or at least exploring the possibility of Christianity. And the reason why I say that this is relevant is because the topic today applies to everyone. It's, I think, something that we all have in common which is the concept of doubt. I think that regardless of where you are in your journey with the Lord, um, I think that we all struggle with the same thing. We all struggle with doubt. And I know that there's a group of people, especially among Christians, that would say, well, if you believe in Jesus, please don't say that you're doubting. Um, to that I would say, I respectively, uh, yeah, I respectively disagree. I think that uh, the Bible gives us permission to doubt. I, I think that it's not healthy that we pretend that we don't doubt. And I actually believe that doubt, to a certain degree, is healthy for your spiritual walk with the Lord. Now, why would I say that? Well, let's talk about three things today. I'm going to call you to embrace your doubt, doubt your doubt, and crucify your doubt. Embrace your doubt, doubt your, doubt your doubt, and crucify your doubts. Let's go with point number one, embrace your doubt. Why would I say that doubt is not necessarily a bad thing? And I want to start by giving you two main reasons. The first reason is because if you are honest with yourself, if you are a human being, which Something tells me you are. Doubt is part of our humanity. To doubt is part of what it means to be a human being. Not just a human being that is a sinful human being, but it's part of what it means to be a human being. So if you are the type, and I actually believe that we struggle when we don't acknowledge that that's our reality. I actually believe that if you are a human being, if you pretend that you're not doubting, that's an issue. If you try, uh, try to distract yourself so you don't doubt, that's an issue. Or if you are just saying to yourself, I don't doubt, you might be lying to yourself. It's part of what it means to be a human being. I think that Christianity requires honesty, and part of this honesty is to recognize that there are things in the Bible that are hard to believe. Amen? Is there anyone here who fully understands and believes everything the Bible says? So we could worship you. <laughs> that's the first reason. I just think that that's part of what it means to be a human being. You know, in my own journey with the Lord, I, every morning when I get up, I have, I, I'm the, the highlighter guy. I'm the underlining guy. Like my Bibles are destroyed because of that. But if you walk through one of my Bibles, you would always see a question marks on the, on the side of it. 
man, I, this one I don't get. Like, what is this? I think that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Wrestling with that. But the second reason why I think that we ought to embrace our doubts is because the Bible shows us that his best followers doubted at times. That there's not one saint in the scripture that did not struggle with doubt at one point in their lives, including John the Baptist. Which is super interesting because do you know why John the Baptist is called John the Baptist? Because he baptized Jesus. I mean, that's important. I don't know if you remember when we were walking through a journey here. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is the same guy. The same guy that told people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And he's talking about Jesus. Is the same guy that we find in Matthew chapter 3 that... Uh, says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's John the Baptist. The same John the Baptist, um, that when he saw Jesus, he says, I, 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 I cannot baptize you. You have to baptize me. That's the same uh, John that later on he says, that, that later on saw the Spirit descending upon Jesus. And he heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. That's the same John. But what I find fascinating about uh, Matthew chapter 11 is that even though this is a guy that really, 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 really believed in Jesus, I hope you know, is the same guy that in Matthew 11 we find suffering in prison because he has been faithful. And he says this in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Don't you find that? Weird? I mean, that's an awkward verse. This is the same John of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. He's the same John that saw and heard and proclaimed things that nobody else did. How come he asked Jesus if he's the one that is to come? Actually, it gets even more weird because he says, not only are you the one that we, is, is to come, he even says... If that's not you, should we expect somebody else? The same John. is the same John that believes in Jesus and somehow right now is struggling. And what I want you to see, there's a couple of things that I want you to see from this verse alone. The first thing that I want you to see from this verse alone is that pain and struggle invites doubt. So if we live in this broken world and you are a broken person and there are broken systems and broken people... You will suffer. You will experience pain, and that pain will invite doubt. And that doubt reveal your true beliefs. So pain invites doubt, and that doubt reveals your true beliefs. See, once again, I think that John the Baptist had certain level of understanding of who Jesus was. 
That's why he said the things that he said in Matthew chapter 3. But there's something about his condition, you know? If you know anything about that story, you know why John the Baptist is in prison, right? Because he's confronting an immoral person. And that immoral person happened to be a person in power. And that person in power put him into prison. So he is suffering, which is super interesting. He is suffering because he's being faithful. He is not suffering because of his sins or the sins of, of, of his family or whatever it is. He is he's suffering because he is being faithful. And as he's suffering, he's trying to put two and two together. See, John the Baptist believed in the Messiah. John the Baptist believed that the Messiah was supposed to come to make things, all, to make things right. John the Baptist believed that this Messiah will come and save his people. John the Baptist believed that Jesus will come to save his people, and at the same time, he will bring judgment. Do you know what the problem is there? John the Baptist is suffering because he's faithful, and Jesus is not bringing judgment. Actually, he sees Jesus doing the opposite. If you have been following the journey here, you know, Jesus is helping Jesus is helping people. Jesus is loving the enemies. Jesus is calling people not to judge others. His people, uh, Jesus is touching the untouchable, loving the untouchable, healing the sick. And John is in prison thinking like, this is not fair. This is not the Jesus I was expecting. This is not the Jesus I wanted. Yes, I want the Jesus of love, but I want the Jesus of judgment. So how come I'm still in prison? Can you see how pain invites doubt? While at the same, while at the same time it reveals our true beliefs. See, this is John's problem. It's not that he doesn't believe in Jesus. It's that he's got preconceptions about what Jesus should do and how Jesus should be. And I want to invite you to consider, and I want to invite you to do a self-assessment, because I think that we struggle with the same thing. Whenever we doubt, it's either because we're suffering and we have 20,000 questions for God, or we doubt because the picture that we have of God does not match what we have, does not match reality, if you will. Does that make sense? The second reason why I think you should embrace your doubts is because um, if in your doubt you don't embrace the Jesus you get, you will find another Jesus. Let me say it again. If in the midst of your pain and your struggle and your doubt, you don't embrace the Messiah you get, you will look for another Messiah. Isn't that what was there behind the question, are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? It's almost like saying, if you're not the one I want, I have to find another one. One that will match my reality. I actually think that this is part of the reason why we messiahify our work and our career, you know? Because if Jesus doesn't give you what you want, you got to find another messiah. I think that this is part of the reason why some people messiahify romantic love and people and persons. Because if the person that you have does not give you what you think, you got to find another messiah. 
This is part of the reason why I think that we messiahify our friends and relationships. Because if you don't get that from Jesus, you're going to get it somebody else, somewhere else. This is the same reason why we messiahify positions and titles and recognition and influence and families. Anything, anything, with our tendency is to put anything in the place of God if the God we have does not match what we want. That's a reality. If Jesus is not your messiah... Something or someone else will. So why am I calling you to embrace your doubts? Because it's part of your humanity. But you have to be careful with your doubts because your doubts make you question things. But you also got to pay attention to your doubts because he tells you what is it that you truly believe. Now, up until this point, you would say, well, it seems like if John is in a really complicated place, and it seems that up to this point, John is actually sinning. Listen, I'm not going to say that he is sinning or not sinning, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but this is what I'm going to show you. That Jesus does not correct his doubt. Did you notice that? Jesus doesn't go to John and he says, how dare you, you ask me those questions. He doesn't go to John and says, hello, what happened to Matthew chapter 3? <laughs> he doesn't do any of that. I'm going to show you in a second, but he actually elevates him. This is what I find beautiful in this text. That if there's something that we can learn from John, is that even when we struggle... And even as we doubt, what makes John so special is that he went to Jesus with his doubt. That's what makes a difference. He went to Jesus with his doubt. And I actually think that this is part of the problem with modern day Christianity. Actually, this is, I think, that's part of the problem between society and Christianity. If we have a problem with some part of our Christianity... If there's something that we don't like about Jesus on the way God is working something, instead of going to the source, instead of going to the Bible, instead of asking faithful believers, instead of wrestling with ideas and concepts from the Bible, we go to the internet, we seek public opinion, you spend more time, more time in social media, you follow what you feel instead of wrestling with the Lord. Instead of going to him and wrestling with the Lord. This is what I believe. And please don't be offended. And you know when people say, please don't be offended, it's because I want you to be offended. <laughs> if not, I wouldn't say it, right? There's a whole generation of believers that have become lazy thinkers. It is easier to hear people's opinions than to dig the Bible. And to wrestle with the Lord. You know how important it is that our minds are dealing with all this stuff right. Because we are what we think. Because what we think affects our hearts. That's what John does well. He's struggling big time. But he goes to Jesus. And it shows you this picture 
of a Jesus that understands what it means to be a human being. I love that. It shows you this picture of a Jesus that truly understands what it means to be a human being. Once again, notice that the text that in the text you don't see Jesus rebuking John. He understands that this is a real thing. You know how Jesus understands that's a real thing? Because in his humanity, he also had questions. Not doubts because he was sinless. And not doubts because he knew the Father from eternity. But he had questions. Right before he goes to the cross. Is it possible for me to avoid this? That's a question. That's a human question. In the midst of pain and the struggle, questions are valid. And even when he's crucified, why have you forsaken me? Stop there for a second and think about that. Didn't Jesus know, didn't Jesus know that he had to go to the cross? Didn't Jesus know that he had to suffer that way? Didn't Jesus know that he was supposed to take the wrath of God? In his humanity, he says, it's okay to struggle. But Jesus did the same thing that John did. They go to God. So please, if that's your case, don't ignore your doubts. Understand your doubts. Embrace your doubts. One of the things that I said last week in my sermon is that I so much appreciate the honesty of the scriptures. If you are a reader of the Bible, if you're actually doing the reading plan with us, this week we read one couple of psalms that, whew, alarming psalms. I would have never put those in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 39, right at the end, King David, Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, says to God, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart, I am no more. You know what that means? Translation, give me a break. Walk away from me. Leave me alone. Maybe I could enjoy life. Who speaks, who speaks to God that way? Believers. In the midst of pain. That's why we got psalms that are called lamentations. It's not pretending. It's not rejoicing through pain. I can't feel anything. I can't feel anything. That's a lie. Actually, Derek Kinder, which is a, a Bible commentator from the book of Psalms, an amazing guy, he says this, the very presence of such prayers in the scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. Beautiful way to address our Lord. So remember that I told you that not only Jesus did not, did not rebuke John, but he actually exalts him and elevates him. Look at what it says in verse 9. Then what did you go out to see? He's talking to the people. A prophet talking about John? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. Verse 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not, um, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's an endorsement for a doubter. 
There has never been someone as great as John the Baptist. And then Jesus is going to make a distinction between a Christian doubter that goes to Jesus and a doubter that just doubts. He speaks to the, to the people that is in front of him. Actually, I think that he's addressing all the religious leaders at the time. So he's exalting John for being a doubter that goes to him. And then he's going to confront the doubters that it doesn't matter what you say to them, they're still not going to believe. That's the difference. Look at what he says in verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. In other words, we sang a happy song and you didn't move. We sang a dirge, a sad song, and you did not mourn. Verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. In other words, you didn't believe John, and you say he, he said the same thing that I'm saying, and you did not believe. And then in verse 19 it says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said he's a glutton and a drunkard and a, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know what Jesus is saying there, right? It doesn't matter. If you're a doubter and you don't go to Jesus, if you're a doubter and you're not wrestling with this, if you're a doubter and you don't get and ask questions and read, 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 read until you understand something, it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, how many conversations you have. If you don't want to believe, you won't believe. I'm sure that you experience conversations with people like that. You know how I know that there's people like that? Because I am like that. There are things in my life, and I'm please a moment of honesty here before the Lord. I'm struggling with something with my wife because she thinks that she's right. <laughs> and as we're having this conversation, I noticed in my heart when I'm seeking to understand, right? And I want us to be in the same page, but I also notice in my heart when it doesn't matter what Heidi is saying, I already made up my mind. That's sad. I'm wasting my wife's time. It's better to be honest and say, you know what, I don't really care about what you say. I'll be divorced. <laughs> but that's the difference with a doubter. If I, have, if I have issues with Heidi, I should go to her and say, let's talk. I want to understand. Or I to go to Heidi and say, don't say anything because I don't want to understand. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Or that's the difference between the seeker and the one that just don't want to believe. And Jesus calls us to embrace our doubts. Because you got questions. And go to him. And wrestle. And I pray that the Lord does not make us lazy thinkers. Or does not allow that we become lazy thinkers. You know what I learned? I'm going super personal today for some reason. But listen. You know what I learned about Christians today? If you believe something 30 years ago. And not about the gospel, not just something. Something about social issues. Let me make it more personal. Something about how God works and what God does and some theological things and doctrinal things. If you believe something that 30 years ago, 
and you truly believe back then that it was true, 100% true, but if you don't do your homework 30 years later and seeing if you believe 30 years ago what is not in alignment with the scripture, you have to change your beliefs. Because you're not changing according to the culture. You are changing according to what the Bible always says. You know why we struggle with that? Because we all have lenses. We read the Bible through our lenses. And part of what the Holy Spirit is doing is, oh, you got lenses? Take them out. Put these on. You know how I call that? Doubting your doubts. Point number two. This is how you fight. Doubt in your heart. Doubting your doubts. Jesus knows that the tendency of the human heart, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, the tendency of the human heart is to be offended by what he says. You know where I get that from? Verse 6. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. The word stumble there means being offended. He says that true happiness is found in us not being offended by who Jesus is and what Jesus says. He says that true happiness and joy is found in understanding that everything Jesus is, is true, and everything Jesus demands is good. But that's not our tendency. If you are a fallen human being the way I am, there are things Jesus says that would offend you. You want to do an assessment really quick? Okay, thank you. This is it. Fraction of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to grab a fraction of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says there that if you hate another person, if you are angry with another person, unjustifiably, unjustifiably angry, your heart is the same of a person that just killed another person. And we're like, no. And Jesus would say, the behavior is different, but the heart is the same. Like when I really hate someone in my heart, I'm never going to say I'm going to kill you. But maybe, maybe, just maybe my heart says, it'll be good if you don't exist. It's the same heart. Jesus says something, for example, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you look at a person that is not your spouse, and you desire that person, you're a cheater. And we're like, no? And Jesus says, whatever you desire in your heart, that's what you really want. Therefore, you did want someone, you did want someone that was not your spouse. You're a cheater. And we're like, that's not fair. He talks about your money. He says that your money is not your money. That you have money because he gave you money. And you would say, that's not true, I work. Yeah, but who gave you that work? And who gave you that ability to work? He says, don't treasure things here on earth. Treasure things in heaven. The Bible calls you, for example, to love your enemies. And you know what a sinful heart does? Which enemies? And Jesus responds, the one that crucified you. And people are like, that, that's not fair. How do you call me to love someone that just hurt me? Blessed is the one that is not offended by what Jesus says. So how do we fight that? 
This is our reality. We doubt because we got issues in our hearts. And we need to learn how to fight this stuff. So how do we do it? This is the secret. Verse 12. From the, de- from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. Jesus here is saying basically the same thing that we talked about last week. That if you're a Christian and we live in this world, the kingdom of heaven is, is subject to violence. We will be persecuted, rejected, hated, all of that stuff. That's just what, what, what it means to live in a broken world as Christians. But then the second part is really interesting because he says that violent people have been raiding it. The phrase raiding it there could be translated as violent people take it by force. That's the way the ESV translated, which is my preferences in that, in that translation. And I think that Jesus is talking, about, is talking about the culture first. This is what a culture would do. But the second part is talking about what Christians ought to do. I think that what Jesus is saying, that the way we actually uh, encounter or face everything that we go through is by being more violent in the sense of exercising even more, more force. What does that mean? This is my interpretation of it, and I'm praying that it's right because I'm not the only one that believes this. That when Jesus is talking about violent people, he's talking about Christians or believers, and that what it means to be a believer that is violent is not that you are, you know, whacking people left and right. That goes against the scripture. But we are violent that we take by force the things that really matter. For example, what we think about God. It requires force for us to so, not surrender to our doubts. It requires force for us to get into the Bible and ask questions. It requires force for you to fight for time with the Lord. Isn't that what God, what Jesus did to John? See, John asked him, are you the one who we're expecting or should we look for somebody else? And look at how Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you have heard and see. Verse 5. The blind receives the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know what Jesus is doing there? He's inviting John to remember, to meditate and embrace what the prophet Isaiah had said before. He's saying, remember what the prophet Isaiah said about me. Remember. Meditate, ponder about what I said, two chapters, I said 35 and 61, said about me before. Remember. You know, this thing about believing the Bible and believing what God says requires force. It is easier, church, to go to the internet. It is easier to stay with your ideas. It is easier to hang around with the people that believe exactly the same thing you believe. It is easier to do all of that instead of going to word, going to the source, force it. You know, these this, uh, last two weeks have been super hard um, for different things with the TVC announcement and among other things have been super hard. And I, I learned for me that the harder it gets, 
the more I have to force myself to be with the Lord. If you want to create an image in your head of how my devotional life looks like when things are tough, it's almost like this. <laughs> Force it. Because I know that I can't survive without it. Prayer requires violence. It is easier to distract myself. It is easier to, to eat. Katie was saying. It is easier to, to, to do anything to distract. It is easier to do 20. It is easier for me to try to fix things on my power. It requires violence that I get up and I pray. It requires violence that you are part of a community. It is easier to not be vulnerable. It is easier for you to live in isolation. But being part of a community of faith requires force. You are fighting with your mind and for your mind. You are fighting with your heart and for your heart. I am convinced, church, that the more this world becomes hostile to Christianity, the stronger you're going to have to be, the better Christian you're going to have to be. Nominal Christianity won't do it. Religious Christianity won't do it. Lazy Christianity won't do it. You're going to have to force yourself to be rooted in God and who God is. So I'm going to be super clear. If you spend more time watching news, reading the internet, being angry in social media, than fighting for your soul, you won't make it. All you have to do is look at church history, you know? Every time people say, man, this world is coming to an end. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. But this I know, that we are not suffering as much as the first century church suffered. And God was victorious then. He will be victorious today. You know what the difference is between them and many of us? That they know how to fight for their soul. They knew how to fight for their soul. I pray that the Lord makes us a church that we embrace the seekers and the doubters. I pray that the Lord make of you someone that is not pretending that you don't have doubts, but that we wrestle together. I'm praying that the Lord makes us a strong people to fight for the word, to fight for fighting prayer, to fight for community, to fight for spiritual disciplines, to fight. Because that's the only way I see that we will survive. So how about if I tell you that all of that is good? And we could do the same things that John did. You know, think, ponder, all of that stuff. But how about if I tell you that we have one more tool that John didn't have, which I think it'll guarantee our victory, if you will. Point number three, crucify your doubts. Look at what it says in verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
You know who are the least in the kingdom of heaven? The ones that came to believe after Jesus went to the cross. Anybody that got to see Jesus died and resurrected is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you and I have something that John didn't have. We get to see the Jesus of love, healing, mercy, and compassion. But we also get to see the Jesus that went to the cross to die for the doubter. See, John didn't know that at the beginning, and we do. See, we get to see the Jesus that loves us with violent, violent love. We see the Jesus that amid his personal pain did not quit but went to the cross. See, John didn't have that, but we do. See, we get to see the Jesus that dies for the ones that doubted him. See, John didn't have that, but we do. See, we get to see the Jesus that fights, but not for him, but for you and me. See, John didn't have that, but we do. See, we get to see a Jesus that in his humanity struggled with his thoughts and also asked for a break. If it's possible, Lord, can you take this from me? And yet he forced himself to the cross. You know why that prayer is there? So we know that Jesus had an, uh, an option. He could have run away. And he didn't. A couple of months ago, I watched the latest movie from Tom Cruise, uh, Top Gun. That's how the Lord speaks to me, by the way. And right at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise is supposed to go into this mission, very dangerous mission, and one of his friends says, do you know what's going to happen to you if you go there? And Tom Cruise responds, yes, but I also know what's going to happen to them if I don't. You know that's something that Jesus would say? He would say to himself, you know what's going to happen to you if you go to the cross? And he says to himself, yes but I know what, ha- what would happen to them if I don't. We have that, and John didn't. And if John survived, in the midst of his doubts, we have a better, bigger, and more beautiful reason why to survive. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. My wonderful Savior, we are grateful that you understand our humanity. We could be honest in the midst of our pain when things don't make sense. We are grateful that we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us, making us understand, helping us understand, transforming our hearts and minds and emotions and affections, Lord, even in the midst of our struggle. Lord, my prayer for us is simple today. Make us violent people. But not violent like the world is violent. But violent for the kingdom. Violent as we fight with and for our thoughts. Violent as we fight with and for our hearts. Violent as we seek and we we seek to understand the scriptures. Violent as we pray. Violent as we live in community. Violent as we evangelize and share the gospel. Violent as, violent as we share and we help and serve others. Violent as we live for you.
Could you please, by the power of your spirit, empower us to do that? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? Our last song celebrates just that fact that as we commit to fight for our souls, that we are not fighting alone, that Jesus is fighting with us and for us. Let's stand. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I did. <laughs> of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more
Christ in you, the one that tells you before leaving the service, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent.